I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Now, if you've wanted to take an adventure vacation, you wanted to go somewhere, maybe ship your bike to another country and do some amazing trip, but think, well, it's too much money. I can't afford it. Or, or maybe it's the organization of it because organizing a trip like that can be a lot of work. Well, today's episode may be the solution for you for 2018. You got a lot of lead time here to plan up to it, and it's not going to cost you a dime. And we're also going to talk about a new luggage strapping system for your bike that allow you to use any bag as motorcycle luggage. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Hi, I'm Sam Manico. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Brian Field. Justin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed Mark. Glenn Hickstead. Woody from Woody's Wheelworks. Bennett Smith. Gregory Frey. Dave Barr. Michelle Lanfield. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tatt. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millwall. Walter Colbatch. Joe Rush. Christelle Bayer-Vajic. Lawrence Harking. Jeremy Krieger. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Susan Johnson. Larry Pye. Robert Witt. Spencer Conway. Ted Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Lisa. Nita. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles, tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motor Tech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. Greenchiliadv.com. The 2016 United People of Adventure trip to Madagascar is complete. Now, if you haven't heard about this, Herbert and Ramona Swartz of Touratech have put together a program where they they choose people from around the world after after these people apply, and they basically take them on an all-expense-paid adventure vacation where you're riding motorcycles in some incredible environments. This year, the first year, was Madagascar, but guess what? You haven't missed out because you have a chance to do this with them for 2018. And we're going to talk about that today. But first, we're going to talk with one of the people that went on the trip. Um, I'm July Behel. I was born in India and um, I la- now live in London. And I am head of bits and projects for an engineering company in the UK. July, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. So Behel, is that how you say your last name? Yeah, Behel, which is B-E-H-L. Right. So, July, of course, today we're going to talk about your trip that you did with Tour Attack with, um, under their program called United People of Adventure. How did you come across this? Well, um, I came across it on social media. So, um, they were obviously marketing it through Tour Attack and other pages. And um, I just sort of happened to come across it and I thought it looked like an interesting opportunity. So, I sort of threw my hat in the ring. Well, so just briefly, when you first saw it, what did you see? What did you expect this thing was about? 
So, so they had a three-minute video out which basically said that they were looking for six people from all over the world to ride to Madagascar with them and do a bit of charity and was fully paid for. And, you know, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and I hadn't personally come across anything like that before. And I just thought it was a brilliant concept. And, you know, in principle, it was just brilliant that TourTech were giving, it, giving stuff back to the adventure riding community and to the Malagasy people. So it's totally sponsored by TourTech. And yeah. there, it's basically a, a free adventure for you. Yeah. And what did you have to do to, to enter? So everybody had to submit a three-minute video about themselves. They sort of um, asked a few questions about riding skills and camera skills and so on and so forth and a bit of background. Okay, so my next question is, July, why did yours stand out? What made you the perfect <laughs> candidate for this? They, I mean, you must have an inkling now after meeting everyone and doing the trip. Um. I still ask this question most days, but I don't know, probably mine wasn't three minutes. I just sort of went on um, and I'm not entirely sure why they still chose me. I think it was it was possibly a combination of uh, the fact that uh, in addition to just riding motorcycles, I also uh, hold something called Motor Adventure Nights in London, uh, which is basically getting people to come and present their stories. So I have that angle to it. Possibly the fact that I have a page called Motor Adventure Photography and I've been dabbling in photography for 10 years. So I suppose from their perspective, I take the few boxes. So go, go back to what you just said. You said you, you hold something in London where you have people yes. come and talk about their adventure. Yeah. So I, um, I started something about three years back called Motor Adventure Nights. So it's basically a platform for uh, overlanders to come and share their stories. So it's a free event. I don't charge people for it. I just do it because just to promote and the fact that, you know, I love adventure motorcycling. So we'll get somebody to come along, um, usually either one person or two people. And um, they have about 40 minute slots each and it's in a pub in North London. And they'll come and talk about their adventures. Everybody has a pint. It's a question and answer session. And, you know, it's pretty laid back and it's free. Very cool. I like that. How long have you been doing that? Um, I think about two and a half, three years now. Very nice. Wow. And that goes on what, what weekly? Um, no. So I try and do once, uh, one every couple of months, few months. So, um, and it's just one night in the week and, you know, a few hours. And, um, you know, from the feedback we've got, everybody has a good time. And, you know, it's, it's pretty relaxed and chilled out. So, yeah. I like that. Yeah, we'll have to make sure that link is in the show notes for anyone who's in your area and interested in going to that. Or maybe dropping by. Maybe somebody who's traveling may want to drop by. But, but so let's zip back to the, uh, the, this trip that you did. So yeah. you went to Madagascar. Yeah. This is my first time in Africa. Yeah, it was fascinating, absolutely brilliant. Well, what, what did you have for riding experience before that? So I'd ridden um, in India extensively as I grew up in India. So I'd ridden possibly all over India and Nepal. Uh, then I've been living in the UK for the past seven years this time around. So I've ridden most parts of Europe as well. So that's it. That's, and I'd ridden um, off-road and on-road but I think my definition of off-road has now changed after having ridden in Madagascar. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this, it's an organized event, and obviously it's set up to promote Tour Tech product. You can see that all over it. Did it feel like a real adventure looking back? Like, Did it feel like it was really authentic, or did it have that commercial appeal to it? No, it was organized in the sense that they knew they were going to do it in Madagascar and they are going to do it from six people from all over the world, but they hadn't scouted any routes uh, so everything was new to them and to us. So I think it was adventure in every sense of the word. Because, um, like I said, there was 
in total there was 13 people and I think this surpassed everybody's expectations because it was this this is the definition of adventure it wasn't an adventure sort of cut all ties fashion sort of thing but it was as hardcore as it gets well, I remember seeing one post on there from that someone had done, and it was, uh, I think you guys worked all day to get through to one uh, point, and then you ended up having to turn around and go all the way back through all the stuff that you just fought through to, to get there. Yeah, what had happened was that we were meant to take a boat to get to the other side of the island. So this was on day three or day four. And uh, unfortunately, Madagascar was going to get hit by a cyclone. As a result, um, all the boats had stopped. So we were camped um, on the shores of the Indian Ocean waiting for this boat and then we get to hear the cyclones coming. So there was two choices we could make. We could either head south into the unknown and we didn't know how long the boat would take, how long we would have to wait for enough to cyclone hit. Obviously, like Herbert pointed out, our tents weren't cyclone proof. Or we could go back north. Um, to where we started from. And um, I think this was the only point in the trip where it got slightly um, slightly disunited, contrary to the name. But uh, we just uh, took a democratic approach and most people wanted to head back north, and so we did. What do you mean? Some people sort of strongly opposed the yeah. idea? Yeah, I wasn't strongly opposed, but because um, there, was, there was a few of us who wanted to continue going south because... Um, Although North gave us the safety aspect of it, South was possibly definitely more adventurous and um, some of us just wanted to complete what we'd started. That's really neat. That, that's what adventure is all about. And of course, anytime you get a group of people together, it's very difficult and, and impossible really to have unanimous decisions on anything. But hopefully you do everything for the for the better of the group. Yeah, and you see Herb and Ramon are quite chilled out about that and they said it's a democratic decision despite the fact that it's a Turtex thing. Everybody decides and we'll do whatever the majority does and like I said, unfortunately the majority decided to go north and I think you, you see where I'm coming from because I was in the south camp. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and like I said, this was possibly definitely the only point in the trip where there was a bit of divide but besides that... All of us got along like a house on fire. Well, what was the idea of it to begin with? I mean, you know, it's it's obviously a, a thing, like I said, to, to promote Tour Attack. That, that's very obvious because you see the logos everywhere. But the idea was that you mentioned the charity. So the idea was they wanted to, I think, um, a, give, give something back to the community. And instead of just doing a European sort of uh, a competition or ride or, you know, American, they wanted to get the whole world and make, make the whole world part of it. And the fact that you can unite people through adventure, you can get six people from different parts of the world with different languages, sex, different barriers to culture, religion, all sorts, and they can come together and write together as one uh, tight-knit unit. And obviously, when we did go to Madagascar, we did the charity as well uh, with an orphanage. Um, and um, so I think it was, it was a blended approach. So if there was the writing, there was a charity and obviously, they wanted to promote their products, um, which we, which I can say now, because um, most of us dropped our bikes numerous times, and we, you know, battled them pretty thoroughly. But um, all that Tech protection that the on, on the bikes um, just sort of did the job. No, it was Tech's bike, so we were all allocated a bike. So we had everything from the new. Ducati Multistrada Enduro to KTM 1190s to GS or Triumphs, everything, basically the whole fleet of adventure motorcycling that's out there in the market at the moment. And you rode a KTM? Was, yes, 
I rode a KTM. Did you like it? Oh, yes. Uh, so I rode the KTM 1190 Adventure R, and I absolutely loved it. It's just a coincidence that I own one of the KTMs as well, the same bike as well. So uh. fortunately, I was familiar with the bike, yeah. Well, so were they all big adventure bikes? I see Africa Twins in there. I mean, was it all large bikes? Yes, there were all lots of um, the Africa, the, both the Africa Twins were there, both the DTC and uh, the manual one, the GS1200, the Triumph, Tiger Explorer, the Triumph 800, the GS800, the KTM 1190, the KTM 1290. So, yeah. All the big bikes, all the icons of, of adventure yeah. motorcycling. So, tell me, did you did you really need those? <laughs> did you find there was any time, was there any time, <laughs> July, where you were pushing these bikes through the mud where you thought maybe a lighter, smaller bike would have done better? I'm just asking this. Probably four times a day, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> because you said you were only going like 65 kilometers in a day. So, I mean, that like the whole idea of the big touring bike is that you get on the highway, you know, you get into those open spaces and that's where it excels, not where you're pushing and slogging. You see, initially when we were given the brief, they said that we, that we were going to be doing a thousand kilometer in 10 days. And when you hear that, you think, oh, that's not too bad. That's only about 100 kilometers in a day. And out of that 300 kilometers to the capital in the end was on tarmac. So it's about, you're talking about 700 kilometers of off-roading. But you see, when Mad the cyclone season had just finished in Madagascar and each and every kilometer there was an achievement because there were puddles that were waist deep, uh, there were broken bridges, dilapidated planks, river crossings, anything and everything you can possibly imagine when it comes to off-roading. There was two days of non-stop rain and it was as gnarly, like I said, as, as you can imagine. To be honest, it sounds really neat. <laughs> I mean, like to me, that that's my style of adventure. That sounds like fun, getting in there and having to, to really slog it to, to get very far. However, I do think the lighter bike thing would have made it probably a lot lot nicer. You could have took 250s and put some concrete panniers on them, and then at least you could have decided to take them off and carry them separately. <laughs> but you see, Tourtech's business is all about big bikes. So I think small bikes only have a small proportion of their business. So they wanted to showcase all their products, all their panniers, the different protection elements, and if I was in their place, I would have possibly done the same thing. Oh, I'm sure we all would. I mean, there's, yeah. there's no doubt there at, at all. But <laughs> it's just kind of interesting. But the good thing about that, though, is like you said, you, you, you obviously beat them to death there and they survived quite well. I mean, their equipment. Yeah, yeah. Surely, it just wasn't the equipment, but it was also the bikes themselves. These bikes are bulletproof. And like I said, we would drop them in puddles and, you know, all sorts of, on ruts and all, all sorts of places. And these bikes are bulletproof. Despite all these error messages popping up, you switch the bike off, switch it back on, and they're good to go. I suppose the only um, only a disappointing aspect of these big bikes is the fact that you have to reset all the uh, all the settings before you can move on to the traction control, off road settings, ABS, and that sort of tends to get a bit tedious once you've done about six times a day. You're sitting there pulling out your manual on the side of a muddy trail trying to figure out how to turn your traction control off. Yeah, it's like doing a diploma in IT. Yeah, <laughs> and get quite technical. <laughs> but let's go back to the, uh, we, we started talking about the orphanage. So what did you do exactly for the orphanage? Yeah, so we went to this orphanage where there was 36 orphans. So it's run by Catholic nuns. So we got there and all of us gave a lesson about our continent and the country we came from. So we spoke about the geography and there was magic tricks and there was dancing and singing, all sorts of things. And then after that, we were given a tour of the orphanage, which was uh, which was quite eye-opening because um, 
the conditions there were sort of not particularly good. Um, and, you know, their beds were quite dilapidated and, you know, it just the whole place was just sort of falling apart. And when we spoke to the nun, she said one of the first things, if you do sort of want to help us, is the wee girls, they were sleeping on these sort of straw... Um, straw mattresses, which is probably a sophisticated sophisticated word for that. It was just it was quite sort of basic, the bare minimum. Um, so we decided we sort of pulled some funds together and we bought the orphanage thirty six mattresses. Um, and uh, yeah, so we went back with the mattresses and they were over the moon. They absolutely loved it. Um, in addition to that, when we got back, um, when we finished the ride, we've produced a coffee table book which you can buy from Tourtech, and all the proceeds from the coffee table book will go to this charity, will go to this orphanage in Madagascar. Oh, nice. Okay, that that's really interesting. Yeah, so three of us sort of pulled the whole thing together. It was Benjamin who did all the illustrations. He oh, was wait the a second. I'm, I'm sorry, I misunderstood there. I thought that was part of the program. I thought Tourtech put that together. This is something that participants did. Yes, we did. So all the photography was done by Herbert Ramona and Robert Davies, who was the photographer. Uh, and it was Jonathan Bentman, who was the writer, the journalist, and myself and Benjamin, who did all the design and illustration work. So we t- pulled the whole coffee table book together. It wasn't one of the things Tourtech had planned, but because we had the skill set, we thought it'd be a good idea. Very nice. Wow. And and that that is that, that sort of sums it all up, doesn't it? Uh, people doing great things like that. So let's just put the, the pitch out there for this book. How can someone get the book? So if you go onto the Tourtech's website and sort of search for United People of Adventure Coffee Table book, it should come up and it's got an ISBN and it's got a part number and you can order it from there and it's 25 euros. Great. And the proceeds goes to help that. Wow, that is fantastic. Very, very nice uh, result from the trip and, and putting people together like you guys, you know, in a situation like that. No, we're all glad this sort of came around because we um, sort of um, showcased the book at the premier, uh, at the travel event at Tourtech a few weeks back. And we had quite a good response and people, it's like I said, it's pretty chilled out. There's text and pictures and drawings and all sorts of things. And the book sort of summarizes um, our whole trip. So talk about Madagascar for a minute. So there's people who, you know, are interested in riding different spots around the world. Madagascar definitely comes up. What is it like as a a country overall to begin with? It's, it's, it's a fascinating country. So this was the, this was for me, this was the first time in Africa. And, um, you see, um, the people there, the people there are so chilled out and so respectful, despite having very little, they're always willing to share things with you. And, you know, we had so much camera equipment and helmets and all sorts of things. Uh, and all the, each time we'd stop, all of this was thrown all over the place, but not even a battery meant missing. So, you know, there's a lot of respect there. And Madagascar, from a riding perspective, I think it sort of distills Africa into one tiny island. So you can just, there's every possible imaginable terrain you can ride in Madagascar, from rots to a clay to sand to river crossings. You say it and it's there. It's home to like, what, 23 million people. Are there modern cities there? Yeah, so we flew into the capital, um, Atana, uh, and then we took an internal flight into a place called Antalaha where we started the ride. So it is modern cities, but Madagascar, again, is one of the poorest uh, countries in the world. So it's, it's, it's quite sort of basic there. And, and what about um, bike rentals there? Did you happen to come across that? I know you guys had bikes and everything, but did you happen to see that infrastructure there? 
Yes, I believe there's a couple of tour companies that you can rent bikes from. So you can also rent bikes and they also do tours. And it's smaller bikes, so it's not big adventure bikes. You'd be pleased to hear. <laughs> that's good. But judging from what you're describing from uh, from travel, that's, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So, so your, your planned route was what? Were you, were you going top to bottom? Yeah, so we started, um, so the route was that we would start in Antalaha and go all the way to Capmasol where we would take a ferry uh, to the other side of the island and then do the RN5, which is the Route National 5, which top BBC's list is the riskiest road in the world and uh, sort of ride down all the way to the capital, which is Tana. Why would you take a ferry around to the other side of the island? Because that's the only way you can get to the other side of the island. I'm, I'm having trouble imagining it. So it's, 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 it's like a wee hook, um, if you can sort of imagine. If you look at the, Madaga- the corner of Madagascar, it's like a wee hook. So you basically get to the tip of that hook and then you sort of take a ferry to the other side of the island. Because uh, the rest, there, there's nothing, you, there's just hiking trails. You can't bike on that at all. Uh, okay, I see. So you're in the bay there by now. Yes. Trouble. Uh, for, yeah. What what is the the city called? So uh, Cap Masol is where we're going to take the ferry from, and it's spelled as M A S O A L A. That's why you ended up having to scuttle it because you're completely exposed there on the outer coast. Yes, and it was um, when we found out about uh, the cyclone. Um, we not only gathered local intelligence, but Herbert was also on the satellite phone of Germany. So just to try and get as much as information uh, we could uh, to make an informed decision. And everybody said it was coming and it was going to be winds at 268, 270 kilometers an hour so that you could run, but you can hide. Mm. And did it hit? It did end up hitting, but it was just off the coast of Madagascar. So it didn't hit, hit the mainland, but it hit a couple of islands close to Seychelles and it completely flattened the islands there. And, uh, yeah, it was quite, I think there was uh, apparently 13 people died or something. I'm not entirely sure about that, but there were some fatalities there. Mm, that's too bad. Yeah. On, on the main page here for um, the, the website for it is www.real-adv.com. On the main page, one of the first pictures comes up is the group, obviously the group that went on this trip. Your yeah. photo is there. You are off on the right-hand side, the viewer's <laughs> right-hand side. And it's yeah. interesting. You have something on your collar that no one else has on their jackets. I, I thought you were all supplied with your gear. Yeah, so you see, TourTech gave us um, the complete kit. So we got Companero suits and helmets and boots and, you know, base layers and everything and um, everything you can possibly imagine for that ride. But, but um, you have something extra there. Yeah, so I have my neck brace there. And the only reason I took my neck oh, no, brace... Oh, hang on, was- of course, we, we already know, July, why people wear neck braces. People wear neck braces to help prevent injuries. I mean, if you come off your bike and the weight of your head and your helmet slam forward, I mean, clearly it is a... It is a and it's something I think most people should consider. I mean, that's why you wore it, right? Uh, not really, because you see I've got <laughs> gecophobia. <laughs> so hang on, you're going to have to explain exactly what is gecophobia? So the fear of geckos, the lizards, you know, things like that. Not necessarily snakes, but just geckos and lizards and chameleons. And you've been and diagnosed with this, right? It's not, I've not been, yeah, possibly, I think. Yeah, the family knows about it, yeah. Uh, so I thought if, if I did come off the bike and land in a bush, which a few people did, the only way a gecko could get inside my suit is between my helmet and my suit so I had to cover my neck somehow obviously I was wearing a buff but that wasn't solid so I had to put something solid there so which is why I used the neck brace and I confess to this 
after the trip had finished in, at the travel event in Germany just a few weeks back. Well, so everyone knows the only reason I asked that is because I knew about it as well. And that's why I'm giving you a hard time about it because it's hilarious to think you would wear a piece of safety gear to stop a gecko. Now, of course, geckos are really dangerous, right? Not really. Oh, well, well, I don't understand. They don't burrow into your skin or something? No, they're not dangerous. They're just, I just find them a bit creepy. And they're just, July, don't you think that's overkill? You're wearing a neck brace to stop a, a, a harmless gecko from climbing into your collar? That's what's called a phobia, isn't it? That's true. Wow, that's really good. Well, it certainly <laughs> makes you stand out in the photo of everyone else wearing the same gear, so yeah. at least you've, you've got something that's different, right? I think it makes me look more hardcore. Yeah, definitely, yeah. You're serious. And, and the, uh, what is it, your map book, I guess, you've got stuck on your, on your wrist. Yeah, no, we were given a little emergency cards just in case of uh, an injury or something, and injuries did happen. So unfortunately, uh, the candidate from Africa, Omar, uh, came off his bike and ended up uh, breaking his ankle. Oh. Um, uh, fortunately, um, you know, every cloud has a silver lining and all of that. We were only two days. This was only the second day of the ride. So we were still close to civilization, which meant that we could sort of uh, try and liaise with the locals and get a truck to get him back to um, Antalaha. So did you all go back with him or did they just sort of load him on a truck and send him back? No, no. So you see... Um, we had local contacts there. So the resort we were staying uh, is where we got the truck from. So they sent the truck. So it was only him that went back, him and his Yamaha Super Tenere. Mm. And, and what was the, the worst uh, thing that you had to deal with on the trip? Ooh, um, I suppose... Uh, when you said ooh, is that because there's so many things to choose from? Yeah, <laughs> like it, depends, the difficulties? it depends on the... <laughs> see, it depends on the definition of a worst, isn't it? Well, well that's, so, that, no, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I mean. Like, I consider the worst, when I'm asking that, I'm, I'm thinking the most exciting stuff because the idea of slogging the bikes to the mud and having to get a whole bunch of gear through through from one place to another, to me, is fun. Yeah, see, that, that's... And, and that was fun. Um, but I suppose one of the things that none of us particularly appreciated was that it didn't stop raining for about a day and a half and people mm. started getting trench foot and all of that. And what had happened was, as a result of that, everything was just slick. It was ice slippery and the thick sand had turned into clay. And it was just... It was getting slightly... It was getting interesting managing the bikes, but it was, it was, we had to put everything in it. We, we just had to put everything that we had in it to keep the bikes upright and going. And I think once the rain stopped, it was fine. But I think the rain didn't particularly help, especially when your sleeping bags get wet and all of that, which didn't happen. But it was, it was a lot of rain for about close to two days. Were you camping the whole time? Because you mentioned tents. Yes, we were. So no accommodations, camping. And you managed to stay dry in your tents through all the rain? Yeah, we did. These tents were quite good. And what had happened was when it was raining, we just sort of formed teams of four people. So one would put, uh, two people would hold a fly sheet to ensure that not none of the rain would get into our tents. And then two people would help sort of pitch the tents. So that's how we sort of pitched everybody's tents when the rains were on. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. Keep the group working together. Well, it sounds like it was really well organized, even despite the fact you ran into the, the problems where you're having to turn back. It sounds like everything was well planned. Oh, yes, everything. And like I said, I think the people, everybody, it was not only the candidates from all over the world, but it was Herbert and Ramona, the film crew, uh, JB, the journalist. Everybody got along like a house on fire, which made a lot of difference because everybody was happy and chipper. And, you know, it was, it was a hoot. The whole ride was a hoot. And if anybody was to ask me, would I do it again? I'd do it again in a heartbeat. How did you handle the food? Did you guys pack food yourselves and each take a meal? 
Yeah, so what we'd done was uh, the resort that we were staying in, so we carried a few provisions for the next couple of days, um, so like tomatoes and avocados and stuff like that. Um, and we made fresh food every day. Uh, so breakfast was quite sort of bare. We mostly had coffee and bread or something. Lunch was usually coconut water and cream or a piece of fruit. But dinner, we ate like kings. Every day we had a belly full. And, and so each of you took ben- turns making it. No, it was Benjamin and I. So the Benjamin Mars, the Canada from North America and I. So both of us are sort of um, foodies, if you like. Uh, so both of us sort of got charged and then we were helped by Andrea, the Australian candidate. So yeah, we made stuff like uh, flatbreads and we baked fresh bread and um, avocado salad, rice and all sorts of things. And it was wow, just brilliant. Nice. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great way to do it. Now, I was going to ask you originally, um, who was the winner? But but I guess you were all the winners. That's why you went. That's how it was. It's not like a competition once you're there like the, the camel trophy used to be. No. So, but see, it was uh, when they had the selection weekend in Germany, so there was 12 of us there. It was basically 11 because, unfortunately, the candidate from Uganda uh, couldn't get his visa. So there was only 11 of us there. So it was the six chosen from the 11 um, that, in essence, were the winners. Oh, that would be a tough one to be one of those ones that were sent home. Yeah, but you see, again, even the 12, we all got along like a house on fire and it was pretty intense three days because we did everything from team building exercises to psychometric testing to off-road skills assessment. So basically all the different things that they were looking for in candidates. And I was quite surprised myself on the psychometric testing bit. But it was quite important because you can almost sort of try and fake a personality over a weekend. But when you do a psychometric test, it's out there in the open, black and white. So, um, but yeah, they wanted to ensure that these six people they were taking with them sort of got along and, you know, had different skill sets which were complementary. That's interesting. So what was the psychometric test? How did they do that? So they had this consultant for a whole day. So she did psychometric testing and she did team building exercises with us. So it was basically a series of multiple choice questions for about 40 minutes. And we all answered the questions and then evaluated answers. And then there was, I think, four different uh, personality traits. There was dominant, cautious, supportive, and there was one more, which I can't quite remember. And I remember four of us came out dominant. And then you just think to yourself, surely they're not going to take four dominant people because the chances of them clashing are quite high. Mm, yeah. But I think three of us from that four actually ended up going on the trip. So that wasn't the deciding factor then? I think it was a combination of factors. It was not necessarily just riding skills, but it was a whole host of skills. I think they were looking for people who would be, I think team spirit was the essence of the trip, that who would just put their back in to help their mates, you know, get out of a rut or pick up their bike and just be together and be happy and, you know, just, just ride united. So that team spirit element was quite important. So what do you do next? What has what this done for you and where will it take you? Well, fortunately, even before this trip, I'd already planned a bit of an adventure next year. So I'm hoping to do uh, the Pan Americas next year. So I uh, shipped my bike to Anchorage in June 2017 and then ride down to Argentina. Very nice. You're going to have to look us up on your route. Uh, we're in British Columbia, so we'll have to see if we can connect while you're driving by. That'd be grand, yeah. And as for as for United People of Adventure, they're going to do another one in 2018. So they're going to do one each every other year. 
Um, so they've already started planning it. So um, I suppose it's definitely one of those opportunities that you have to throw your hat in the ring because it is once in a lifetime. Uh, these these this, these rides are just phenomenal. So you, in essence, you get to ride with the world because there's people representing all the different corners of the world. And Herbert and Ramona themselves are such chilled out people and so easygoing and they have a wealth of experience. So it, it's just a cracking opportunity. And then you get to be in a film as well. So what's not to like? And you do charity and it's all paid for so it's, it's it's just absolutely grand it definitely sounds like the ultimate adventure for an ultimate vacation adventure vacation for a lot of us well very interesting very nice to meet you july sounds good well, thanks for your time and thanks for having me on the show and that was july Bahel from his home in the uk giantloopmoto.com of course when you go to their website if you're buying something use the promo code ARR that'll give you free shipping in the US it also lets them know that you came from Adventure Rider Radio now when you go to their website click on the button that says new for 2016 you're going to see 39 new products on this page. They're not all giant loop products, but they're all adventure motorcycling products. That's really neat. They carry a lot of things now to do with adventure motorcycling. You already know their bags. I've told you about their bags. They're waterproof. They're durable. They're definitely meant for you. On this page of 39 new products, one of them that I think is really neat, and I've, I've mentioned it before, is the gas bag fuel-safe bladder. Now, if you have anything less than a KLR tank or a, an adventure, a GS Adventure tank, you're going to want this because this will give you that extended range just when you need it. You roll the bag up when it's empty, you put it into your pack, and then when you get to a point where you think you need the extra fuel, well, you just fill it up, strap it to your bag, and uh, strap it to your bike, and away you go, and you've got extra fuel for your trip. Drop by and see what they've got, giantloopmoto.com. Let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. And now we're going to speak with Ramona and Herbert Swartz, who are the creators of United People of Adventure. And Herbert Swartz, of course, is the founder of Touratech, which he started 25 years ago. Both Herbert and Ramona have done a lot of world travel and continue to. It's a big part of their life right now, and that's clearly why they're running a program like this. I spoke with Ramona and Herbert from their home in the Black Forest of Germany. Well, I'm here with Herbert and Ramona Schwartz, who um, have just completed a, a new project, another adventure motorcycle project. Herbert, Ramona, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hello. Hello. Nice to be back. Well, this is a, quite an incredible thing you've done. Now, I've already spoke with July, who was on your trip, and um, he's went on and on about how fantastic it was. And I think, at least for him, and I gather the way he described it for everyone, it's really, um, it really opened things up for them. But before we jump into that, first, how did you come up with United People of Adventure? Yeah, you're right. It's been a life-changing experience for everyone, and this is what we had hoped for. Um, when we came up with the idea, we were thinking about what is Touratech all about? And it's actually exploring the world on a motorcycle. So a great adventure is even greater if you share it with other people. So we decided, why don't we just invite six different people from six different continents and we put them together on six different bikes and uh, we have a big adventure together. And in the beginning, we had an idea. We've been to Madagascar three and a half years ago, and there was one little road or pass that we wanted to ride, but it was impossible for us, the two of us. 
And then we, we thought about getting help from people from all over the world just to do it in one team, to do it together, just as an experience, as an adventure. And we needed people that helped us. And yeah, that was the, the, the final decision. So you mean to say you put this all together just to get people to help you push your bikes through mud? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's too easy. <laughs> that seems like a lot of work. Well, uh, you, you mentioned Madagascar. You had been there before. That was why you wanted to go there for this project, because you've already been there. You sort of had this thing that was, uh, you felt um, incomplete, so to speak. So how did you set up the project? Ramona, you mentioned six people. You're talking about getting six people together. How did you do it? You, you throw it out on social media and just ask people to apply? Yes, basically, that's it. So we asked um, people who were interested in the project to apply for the project with a three-minute video in English, and they had to convince Herbert and me why we should take them and nobody else. This is really cool because... It's, it's, it's basically an all-expense-paid adventure. Like, it's, it's sort of a, you know, a dream thing for anybody out there to, uh, to apply for and get onto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, we were looking for other adventure riders with edges, which means we were not looking for perfect professional riders, but uh, for different people. So we wanted to have young ones, old ones, black ones, white ones, you know, you get the picture. So, and this is what we got. But it was very, very difficult to, se to select them. Well, first of all, what did you do? You looked at the videos. You, you basically, the two of you sat down and watched the videos. And, and I mean, how do you rate a video? We spent many nights watching the videos. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, weeks we had to spend in front of the television. And we had a list and we gave scores, but it, it was really, really different. At the end, we had about 10 candidates from each continent. And we had to look what skills do they have, what what can they bring to the team. And, and then we invited two of each continent. And we wanted to have two women in the team and we wanted to have a doctor. In the end, we got like two doctors and a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just wanted to have like different people. And you sat and you looked through all the videos. What are you looking for in the video? I mean, these people make a video. I imagine the videos varied all over the place and how they made them about themselves. And, and I'm not sure as, I mean, I guess you could make a video, uh, make you appear to be something that you're not. What are, you, what are you looking for? How do you narrow it down and how many people applied? We got about 200 Yeah, a little videos. more than 200 videos. Wow. And we were looking for interesting stories and interesting people. And um, in the end, we found them. But it was a tough choice, to be honest. Now, once we were finished with one continent and we started to look through the next, uh, then we found another interesting woman and we you know, had to go back and watch them all over again. So it took ages. <laughs> and then, as you've said, um, we invited people to the finals, to the Black Forest, to meet them in person, because sometimes, you know, it might be, they might be interesting in the video, but they had to prove to us, could they really ride? So uh, we took them to a motocross track here in the Black Forest, and then we did some team building activities and stuff like that. Yeah, we talked a lot to them. We made our pizza. We, yeah, we lived with them for three days together just to, to look how they will act, how sympathetic they are. And it, it, it was 
three days experience for us. And we at, at the end, we had two new friends, uh, 12 new friends, sorry, uh, but not six only. Yeah, so we invited them to our home and it was like uh, living the big family thing. <laughs> Well, it's funny because I told you I talked to July already and I asked him, so what was it about you, July, that made you the candidate? Why did they pick you? And he says, you know, I sort of ask myself this every day. He said, I don't quite get it. I don't know why I made it. But clearly, like you're going to do something like this. You're going to go into remote places, which is obviously very or can be very strenuous, which I understand that parts of it were very strenuous, both physically and emotionally. You don't want to get someone there that is not going to be compatible with the group. That's got to be paramount. Exactly. <laughs> it was basically about trusting your gut feeling. You know, sometimes you enter a room and you meet a person and you know, okay, it's going to work or it won't. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is what Herbert just said is that you had 12 new friends in the end. So in the end, probably all 12 would have done fine. Yeah, I think so too. And um, I was asked before, hey, don't you think it's going to be very stressful when you have to tell them, you know, the ones who are not going, oh, yeah. that they are out? And I was like, no, no, no problem. But, you know, the, the closer it got to that point, the more nervous we got. And it was like, you know, a divorce sort of. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the adventure then. So basically, what was it? You shipped a bunch of bikes down. Just run us through that. Yeah, we um, put 13 bikes in a container and shipped it to Madagascar and yeah, invited the candidates and flew to the capital and then with a second domestic flight to Antala at the eastern coast, northeastern coast of Madagascar. And there we met them first time after the finals. Sounds easy, but it was a hell of a job to do, <laughs> to be honest. What do you mean? So the boat was on the ocean for several weeks and it only got there like one day before the participants arrived. <laughs> wow. So it was like last minute. <laughs> That's something to sweat. Well, let me ask, what would you do if they, you, you know, you have all your participants there and no bikes? Yeah, that was a nice little hotel at the beach and we would have had parties <laughs> for 10 days. <laughs> I did notice in, the, in one of the clips from the videos that I think it's Herbert, uh, you're narrating it and you said like in Africa, it could be on time today, it could be on time tomorrow, it could be on time next week. And boy, the day before, that's, that's cutting it to the, the real end. <laughs> yeah, we uh, organized everything that the bikes are in Madagascar at least two weeks before the trip started. Like that we used these two weeks. <laughs> so the, um, you ended up turning back at one point. Can you tell us about that? No, let's not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's exactly what we want to talk about. Isn't that remote? That is adventure though, isn't it? That, that's what it's all about. I mean, if you went and it was sunny and it was warm and everything went perfectly, okay, that's okay. You would have got some no, video. That would have been a trip. Nothing else. <laughs> yeah, nothing else. Adventure, things... if you have no clue what happen, will happen next day. You've got to figure Thanks it out. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> like I had to. <laughs> so the turn back. Yeah, in fact, um, we didn't want it to be a guided tour. So every day we would appoint the man or the woman of the day. And that was the one who was going to lead the pack through the day. He or she was responsible for finding food and a place to stay for the night. So that was the task. And um, we didn't know the route either. So it was a surprise for all of us. And um, the concept was that we would take it day by day and no matter what comes our way, we would make the best of it. And then 
we were on the way south and suddenly we got the news that a cyclone, like the biggest ever in the area, was approaching the coast. So we had to make a democratic decision, which did not turn out the way I wanted it to be. <laughs> oh, you, you were one of the ones that wanted to keep going. Yes. <laughs> Herbert, where were you? Uh, in the beginning, I wanted to go south. That means to go further on. But after the discussion we had all evening long, I thought it's better to go back because we had new information about the cyclone and that we probably would have to wait for at least one more week at this beach. And all of us had to go back to work. And yeah, and I had a little bit of fear that the group could could split. Yeah. It's an yeah, interesting... I was going to say, it's an interesting approach that you took to sort of let the group decide, um, let majority rule when, you know, you're footing the bill, you're, you've set the whole thing up. You could easily have done the heavy hand and saying, look, at this is the way it's going to run. Why did you make that choice? I'm, I think the democratic decision is the best for all of us. And I think as the organizer, I always had the possibility to bring it in a certain direction with arguments that no one can. <laughs> and in between the decision, I turned from south to north because I really had the feeling that's the better decision for the whole team. After the decision, I thought south would have been a good decision as well. But we, after we came back, we noticed that we would have had to wait there for another three weeks till the cyclone went over the coast and killed 13 people in Tanzania. Yeah, and of course, it's been very, very emotional. You know, when we were, um, well, when we had to make that decision, because um, we had bonded in the meantime, which means um, we could understand, you know, each other. So we, we understood the ones who wanted to go south and the others who wanted to go south could understand the ones who wanted to go north. So <laughs> I feel for you, but well, I still would do it differently. <laughs> and you filmed the whole project and, uh, and you had a professional photographer there. Yeah, we had a professional film crew with us. We had two cameramen, one photographer, the two of us with cameras as well. We had a drone with us. And the whole camera team went with us on little commuter bikes with, a, they call it moto taxi, that are taxis, two wheel driven taxis. And we organized some of them to put all the gear on these little 125cc bikes and the crew as well. They followed was, you for the entire adventure? Yeah. It wasn't possible to take a car on these roads or paths that we took, the bridges would have collapsed and the, the path was sometimes only maybe half a meter wide. And it was quite fun for all the crew just to be on the pillion seat of a commuter bike. And it was also our interaction with the Madagasy people, with the locals, because it was uh, their bikes. And how many people? All together, we had some friends from Madagascar. They wanted to join us, wanted to show us their beautiful country. And we had these moto taxi riders. 
And I think altogether we had seven locals with us on little bikes and they entered the group and at the end we yeah, could um, integrate them. It was fantastic to have these seven more people in the in the team. But we hadn't planned on doing this no, because no, it, was. it was only the night before we left, um, before departure, that uh, we found out that the rainy season was late and that the track was still underwater and there was so much mud and deep water holes that no car could have gone that way because we had planned on um, putting two people, like uh, the editor and um, one cameraman, into a car, into a support vehicle, and we wanted to see how far they can come with us, and then they would have had to turn back or, you know, take a boat to another point and wait for us there. But then we found out, okay, there's no car that can come with us. So we had to think about a solution, which was uh, finding motor taxis. <laughs> In the film that, that was produced from this, do we see the, the real action, the, you know, the, the stress, the, the strain, uh, um, the debate of turning back? Is that all in the film that I understand is available now? Yeah, that's all in the film. That's got to be good because that shows the real deal there. And I love the fact there was a split because I think if everybody had have agreed, you know, easily to go the one way, I, I don't know, maybe it would have said something about the people you chose. But um, I understand you didn't just choose people who, um, who were followers, you chose dominant people as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we tried to have dominant, we had uh, chosen some creative people, all kind of people, steady. just mm -hmm. steady people, just yeah. to, to make the group diverse, just not to have, if you have six plus the two of us dominant people, then maybe we would have had a, a little war or something <laughs> like that in between. <laughs> Hey, talk about the orphanage. That was part of it. Um, now, was that like sort of an, an extra thing you did or was that an integral part of the United People of Adventure? So part of the project was to leave traces. And we had come to know a local woman. Her name is Anushka. And she has done some social work in Antala, which is her hometown. And she had told us about an orphanage. And there's uh, 36 girls and one boy. And they need some help. And um, she said, so we decided to pay them a visit. We were given a guided tour through the orphanage. We gave them a geography lesson and spontaneously decided we would buy some new mattresses for them because the old ones, they were full of bugs and just filthy. And um, we were brainstorming and um, thinking about, you know, how can we help these children? So in the meantime, we are collecting money to help them go to school, to buy some school materials for them. And in December, Herbert and I, we will go back to Antala and uh, bring the money and uh, talk about new projects. So is, is the, the point of going to the orphanage to, to uh, make your participants, the people who are with you on the trip, aware of what's going on, maybe spark some interest there, or is it to show it through the film? you know, and, and get everybody looking at it, or maybe a combination of the both? I think it's a combination of the both, yeah. It's a great thing to do to add to um, any sort of adventure. And, and one of the questions that sort of popped in my head before I even called you guys today was, do you think that that's what adventure is about? Do you think when people go out to these places, travel around the world, that they should be looking for ways to interact and help out? 
I think that would be the best idea you can have just to to get in touch with the people and to, to look a little bit how you can help, how you can share a little bit of your good life with them and just to yeah, to participate in, on, on their own life, just to, to look, talk to them, get more knowledge about them. And for us, that was the perfect thing that we did. And we decided, or Benjamin, our candidate from North America, decided to to make a book. And here in in, in Europe, we printed it afterwards, and we decided just to, to give the money that we earned with the book to the orphanage. And the same with the DVD that we will sell in the near future. We will give the money that we earn with this project to this yeah, orphanage in Antalan. I think it's also our responsibility because we live a privileged life and um, we should speak for the people who have no voice and tell you know the rest of the world about their lives so they can get help in some form. Wow, I really like you use the word responsibility there. I think that's that is so dead on. And you know, I've often said that I think that the way the world would be just the perfect place to live is if everyone would worry about everyone else more than they do of, about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would would help the whole world just to to be a, a better place. And it's a little bit of karma too, you know. Uh, when I was traveling around the world. I have experienced such a lot of hospitality and, you know, friendly people welcomed me to their simple huts and their home was my home. And I promised once I will settle down, I will give it back to the people who knock on my door. And now this is what's happening. So the the DVD, is that available now for people to buy Uh, In about three weeks, it will be available. We are almost finished and then it has to go, uh, has to be pressed or I don't know the word, but it has to be made and that will be in about two weeks. Okay. And then they can order it from what, the Touratech website? From the Touratech website and it will be in English language, but you can switch it to, to French, German and Spanish language as well. Now, that's a, a very exciting adventure for the, the people that went on it this year. But this isn't going to be the last time, is it? Of course not. <laughs> so tell us, when does it go again and how would someone apply for the next trip? We have planned the second edition. I won't say where it's going to take place, but somewhere in the mountains. And it will be on a different continent. So I think there will be six UPOA projects all together, at least, until I retire. <laughs> and then we can restart with Africa. We reinvent ourselves again. <laughs> wait, wait a no, second, wait a second. Uh, the mountains, that's just too vague. <laughs> that, 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 that doesn't give any hint whatsoever. Let's say Asia, maybe. Mm, okay. All right, and, and that's planned for 2017? 18. Uh, it, the trip will happen in 18, but we'll make the, the finals and the selection in 17. Right. So again, we will ask people to apply for this adventure and to send in their videos. And uh, the finals, we will invite them to the Black Forest next year. Ramona, Herbert, thanks very much. Great having you on again. Yeah, it was our pleasure. Yeah, it was a great pleasure. Thank you. And that was Herbert and Ramona Schwartz from their home in the Black Forest of Germany.
Okay, first I'm going to give you the website, www.arrowstitch.com forward slash ARR. Now make sure you put the forward slash ARR in because that's going to get you 10% off on your first order or if you're a repeat customer, it's going to get you free shipping on your next order. It also lets them know that it came from Adventure Rider Radio and of course that's important. If you haven't had a chance to try Aero Stitch gear, you really need to. Now I'm talking from experience because I've been using the Aero Stitch 81 pants and the Aero Stitch Darien jacket for a while now. Past the break-in point, um, which is, I think is always the real indicator, the suit is amazing. Hands down, it's the best suit I've tried. The pants, the 81 pants, first off, the fit is perfect on them. For me, the, the fit is perfect. And I've told you before about the sizing that Aerostitch does. They do a whole bunch more sizes than what you will find any of the mainstream manufacturers. And the reason they do it is to get you the right fit because they're motorcyclists themselves. They know what it is to, to ride a bike. They know what they want in their own gear, and they build it for you. Go to their website, aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. Of course, always tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio so they know it's working for them. And don't forget, they've got the 2016 catalog out, which is huge. And I highly recommend you getting it. You can order online at their website, www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. If you've ever wanted to take some of your other dry bags that you have, you know, for kayaking or camping or maybe you're into scuba diving or something and use it on your motorcycle, but you sort of scratch your head and you figure, well, I don't quite know how to get the two things to connect. Today, you're going to find the missing link. Coming up, I'm going to speak with Adam Owens, who is one of the co-founders of Green Chili Adventure Gear. And they've come up with some unique and innovative ideas for connecting any kind of luggage to any motorcycle. Adam, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Now, listeners may know that we have Green Chili Adventure Gear as one of the show's sponsors, and we thank you for that. Um, great to have you on because I thought, well, it's about time, you know, we get a little bit better idea of who you are and introduce you to the listeners. Okay. Sounds good. So, first of all, as far as you, I mean, you're a rider. Yes. I pretty much got my motorcycle license at the same time I got my car license. How did you get started with Green Chili? Um, that's actually an interesting story. So me and my business partner, Ben Rainchild, we were in some Facebook groups together and, um, we had kind of posted on each other's stuff, but hadn't really talked much. And we both, we both kind of came across this product. We were thinking about importing to the United States at the same time. So the guy suggested we work together. And that was the first like time we started talking together as far as you know, doing anything other than just chatting on Facebook. And, um, that deal kind of fell through the, the numbers couldn't be reached with import fees and all. And Ben was like, I think I can build something even better. So we started talking and, um, long story short, it got down to the point where it was time to do it or, or just drop it. And so we found a used Juki Bartak machine and I came home and I told my wife, I want to buy uh, this sewing machine and have it shipped to this guy's house in New Mexico who I've never met, but we've chatted a lot on Facebook and we want to start a business called Green Chili Adventure Gear. And uh, I don't know why she said that she was good with it because it was a decent chunk of money, but she did and that's where it started. <laughs> wow. <I laughs> so she, she, deserves to get, uh, she deserves to get her credit for uh, standing behind us and helping our business get started as well. What's your wife's name? 
Shannon Owens. Wow, that is a, that is quite a story. That's a, quite a leap of faith you made there. I mean, especially really was, a, a yep. Facebook connection. Wow. I mean, I think some people <laughs> would call it foolish, but of course, in hindsight, you can say, no, it works great. <laughs> yeah. And there's, I mean, I definitely was, you know, you'd get the looks from people like, what's that guy thinking? But um, I don't know. Facebook, it's for somebody who's active on it, I think you can get a pretty good sense of who that person is, you know, if they're honest on it, that kind of thing. And um, we had talked a lot, but still we were in business for a year together before I met him. And I uh, went out uh, last February to New Mexico to meet him and we kind of hung out for a week. And that was when we made our, our uh, Mondo UL straps. We developed those together while I was there, made the video for it and everything. Is that right? A year before you even met him. Wow, that is really neat. <laughs> so what, what did you make first? What was the first uh, item that you made for Green Chili? Uh, the very first thing we started working on was our Uprising soft track. And it didn't have a name yet. We just knew we kind of referred to it as a harness because we wanted to make something that made it easy to attach bags to a motorcycle. And, so you know, anybody that's ever used bungees or straps or hooks or anything you go to the back of a motorcycle and there's room, but there's nothing to hook things to. And so that was the first problem we had to solve. Um, so we kind of, we made it this harness that kind of used some of the ideas, um, like with Molly, you see in military gear. Um, we, we borrowed some elements from whitewater, like our cam buckles. Uh, some of the rigging, Ben did a lot of mountaineering and rock climbing. So he's, he's really good at finding creative solutions at rigging. So we've kind of meshed all these different hobbies and experiences that the two of us have had into this business, and it's it's panning out to work well for motorcycles. So when we got done, we were like, I don't even know what to call this because we needed to have a way to list it and explain to people what it was. And um, that's when we came up with the term soft track, and it got the name Uprising because we were kind of like, this is kind of, revolutionary because you typically buy a set of bags that works you know what i mean and this was separating the attachment system from the bags so you know we kind of played around with names and eventually we decided that every revolution starts with an uprising and so that's why we call it the uprising soft track <laughs> well you guys do have an interesting story so so this this rack basically what we're looking at is we're looking at a um, a strap rack really that's um that's strapped to the motorcycle and gives you a whole bunch of fastening points yeah and so the first one um it's kind of it was designed on a klr a gen 2 klr and it's we haven't found a bike we couldn't rig it to yet it works on smaller bikes like say a wr 250 or my ktm 450 uh, but it's more challenging to rig the uprising on a smaller bike um that was when we, that's why we came up with our hardcore soft track and we made it narrower, a little bit shorter. And since those bikes typically don't have a lot of support for a subframe in the back, um, we wanted to try to find a way to add support. And we experimented with several different things, uh, one of them being Delrin rods, which is kind of a structural plastic that we, that we slid into pockets of it. And it worked. But then we got the idea of using some T6 aluminum bars, and that worked great. And then I, we kind of kept talking. It was like, well, how could we make those bars mo something more than just dead weight? So then we forced them out into tire irons. So for the smaller bikes that need support in the back, we gave them that, but we also made them not just dead weight. You know, we made it a, a useful tool. 
not to mention it's typically one of the larger tools in your tool roll is tire irons. So we can eliminate that from the tool roll. And because we needed it longer, it's actually an easier tool to use because you have more leverage for your tires now. So that was kind of where the hardcore soft track came from. And we still kind of have it in pre-order state because we're working through our first big batch of tire irons. We have to forge them out and send them out to get anodized. So the the hardcore soft rack, the the bars are inside. Like so, in other words, it's a similar sort of setup with the the straps running like a ladder, sort of lengthways with the bike, and the bars go down inside them. Yep. So yeah. So there's those center pieces that's sewn with two inch webbing. It's like a pocket, mm-hmm. and um, at the end there's a velcro flap that goes over, and you'll see there's a little metal triglide in the back, and that's a loop of webbing that runs all the way around. And so you can take that off. You can loosen it up. It can strap bags down. It's actually kind of handy for a small tool roll or a tube bag or something like that where you can create the slack in that loop that goes all the way around. Um, Something about this product is we made it where we borrowed the idea of Molly but expanded it on the Uprising soft track. For the hardcore soft track, we actually made it Molly compatible. So it has the same spacing. Okay, so I hate to sound really, you know, uneducated or out of it here, but I don't know what Molly is. Okay, so Molly is a the military uses it to make modular vests and backpacks and carriers, right? So if you had a tactical vest and maybe for your loadout you want extra room for ammo or you want to carry certain things, um, you it's just it's one inch spaced webbing. And so it's a way to attach whatever you need for your vest. And, you know, the guy fighting beside you, he can attach whatever he needs for his vest. Oh, and so everybody can customize everything. And it's all standardized. Exactly. Mm. And so there's lots of bags and options like that made from, you know, from cheap imported all the way up to premium. Whatever anybody wants to spend, you can add that to the back of your motorcycle now. This is really neat. So who should be looking at a system like this? Really anybody. Well, that's kind of the system that scales from a day ride. Maybe you just want to carry a bottle of water and a tire repair kit. You can do that. If you want to um, go camping indefinitely, because, I mean, let's be honest, if you can camp for seven days, you can camp for seven years, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Then you just scale it up because you can put any bag you want to on your bike. You're not limited to anything. You know, if you want to carry a 38-liter dry bag on one side and a 20-liter dry bag on the other side, you can do that. If you damage a dry bag, then you can patch it or you can go to Walmart and buy whatever you want to buy. I mean, everything becomes motorcycle luggage. You could have racks and use the same thing as well. Absolutely, yeah. So it literally will go on any bike. Yeah, the hardcore soft track and the uprising soft track their main function is to add mount points to the back of a motorcycle. So from there you get into, well, how do I mount my bags? And so if you were, if you look under shop and kits, you'll see stuff like our bag snake kit, our Mondo kit, our Mondo UL kit. UL stands for ultralight. Um, Those are the different methods for attaching a bag. So we, so the like the bag snake works almost like a lace. It goes over the dry bag, back across diagonally, and over again. And it's it, and then you have one kind of tag end to worry about for slack. 
what I tell people for the bag snake, if it's a bag you don't need frequent access to or a side bag, I prefer the bag snake. If it's one you do need frequent access to, I like the Mondo or the Mondo UL. This is very cool. So basically, like you said, it's turning every bag into motorcycle luggage. You can put anything you want in there. Do the bags have to have straps on them or hold downs on them of any sort, rings, anything? No. Um, Now you can get some cool options if your bags have that. You know, we can do something like our, the watershed bags come with um, really heavy D-rings on them. And often, because those are a top open duffel bag, we'll use something like our ADV Sushi which is a webbing reinforced Velcro strap. And we'll just run that through the soft track and through the D-ring. And then you have your bag that's attached. It's not going to go anywhere. And you have unfettered access to the top open of the duffel. So Adam, if somebody's looking, somebody's thinking, okay, this sounds really cool. I can use my existing dry bags, et cetera. What do they do? What's the first thing they should look at? Um, The first thing they look at is... Is it easy to attach straps to your bike? And if not, you need a soft rack, then you can pick your strap kits. You know, we have several on our site to offer. Everybody's got a little different situation. So our system is completely modular and it's limited to a person's imagination, really. We, uh, we often say it's like grown man Legos. You know, you can buy a Lego set to help you build a pirate ship, but then you can build a castle out of those same blocks. So... I guess one of the things that we do as a small company, we have a, a contact us section on the website. We're really fast to get back to people. Um, if you have specific questions or can't quite figure out how our system works, I mean, definitely, you know, send us a message and we'll be happy to help you figure it out and um, try to help you figure out exactly what you need. And you guys have got all kinds of attachments here on the website that you can get for this. This is very cool. Thank you very much, Adam. It was great to talk to you. Good to talk to you, too. And that was Adam Owens, co-founder of Green Chili Adventure Gear. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter, too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles, tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motor Tech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. Greenchiliadv.com. Well, 
that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and hey, if you like the show, you like what you hear, you want to keep the show coming to you free, consider dropping by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and click on the donate button. Anything over $10 is going to get you a free sticker sent back in the mail. Our way of saying thanks. I'm Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. No excuses now. Ride safe. See you next week. I'm Graham Field, Overland Travel Author, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 